welcome into today's episode of the Mavs Draft Podcast. As always, I'm Jared Katz alongside Mavs Draft himself, Richard Stamen. Uh, Richard, how are we doing today? I'm doing all right. I uh, <laughs> just learned apparently I've been wasting uh, valuable hours on YouTube when uh, apparently I, I have the Synergy subscription and somehow there is video on this. So I have wasted a lot of time on the wrong sites. How about you? Well, it's not wasting time if you're having fun. <laughs> so, um, but no, I've been good. I've been trying to catch up a little bit on some of these prospects. I'm up to to 13 now. Um, so we're slowly but steadily, uh, you know, building the big board here. Um, and today uh, is actually pretty exciting because we have uh, Richard just dropped a mock draft on his website. Uh, which is fittingly called MavsDraft.com. If you don't know about the website, definitely check it out. That's where he posts all of his scouting reports and articles and mock drafts and things of that nature. Um, You'll be able to find the podcasts on there uh, going forward as well. Um, So I thought today we could maybe go through that mock draft. We'll read all 30 uh, first round picks as well as the 31st pick because the Mavericks are projected to have that uh, that first pick in the second round from Golden State. Was that from an Andrew Bogut trade like years ago? Yeah, so they got <laughs> they got the better of either Houston's this year or Golden State, and uh, I, I think it was that it was that, and I think what ended up happening. Yes, okay, so I got it. It was the Andrew Bogut trade, and then when they traded for. Uh, I don't remember his first name, Onuwaku, like two years ago. I uh, okay. trade him, or just to dump him, I mean, and cut him. They, uh, they, the return, I guess, for Houston was we get, you know, they get the worst of the two picks, which really actually ended up kind of being a valuable trade for Dallas. Yeah, that 31st pick uh, should be uh, pretty valuable. You, you've talked a lot about how deep this draft is. Um, and it's something that the maps could really take advantage of and potentially get two early contributors out of it. So we'll kind of go through each of these picks. Um, obviously, on Dallas's picks being Mavs draft, we'll, we'll pick Richard's brain a little on how he decided on those players for Dallas. Uh, but if you are interested in seeing the full mock draft, uh, again, it is on his website, MavsDraft.com. Uh, highly encourage you to go and check that out. So. Uh, looks like you ran a uh, tankathon simulator here, um, giving us a first four picks of Cleveland moved up from two to one. Washington, it looks like, moved up seven slots to two. And Detroit moved up two spots to three. Uh, Atlanta State put at four. So that knocked Golden State down from one to five. Uh, Minnesota went down three spots to six. Uh, the Knicks. Uh, Bulls and Hornets all moved down a spot as well. So uh, I do want to talk about the first pick here as well, uh, and that was Anthony Edwards to Cleveland. So were you all concerned about, you know, having ball-dominant players there already in Colin Sexton and Darius Garland and how that fit might work out? So I still have no clue what the direction is in Cleveland because I feel like Garland and Sexton are pieces that they're trying to figure out. Do they work? And if they don't, uh, they can t- cut ties pretty easily, uh, especially if a guy like Anthony Edwards comes around. I really think they have to go guard at number one if they get that. I mean, the, the guard class is too deep. Uh, and they probably have someone you know higher upside than Garland or uh, Sexton at number one. I mean, that's... That's you know that's ideal, and I think Edwards will have the highest upside of the three, uh, and obviously this would probably lead to a trade of I would guess Colin Sexton as free agency. You know it's only a couple years away for him, um, so while his value is still really high, you can get him cost controlled. I like the fit. They don't all have to you know be there long term. It's just uh, kind of like Philly, what they did. They took three bigs and figured it out. Just hopefully it goes a lot smoother for them than Philly. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And I know you have Anthony Edwards as as your top player pretty easily. So when you are picking number one, it's obviously going to be more about just get the best talent and I'll figure it out later. Um, You know, you're not going to worry so much about fit at this point. But I am curious, did did you consider anybody else there? Was it pretty clear cut for you that Edwards was going to be that pick? 
So I had considered LaMelo Ball, which kind of drives the issue even further. <laughs> so I didn't go with him because Edwards, I think, uh, can play like shooting guard more than Melo can. Uh, as kind of weird as that is. But uh, the only other one I was considering outside of a guard was Onyeko Okongwu, but I don't really feel like he's a number one pick. It'd be a really, I mean, Cleveland's done bolder things in the past at number one. Uh, so Anthony really, Bennett. What? <laughs> no, I mean, we need to we need to get the Bill Simmons uh, reaction just like popped <laughs> up. Uh, but no, like I mean, they've done weirder things, so who knows? But Okongwu would be the only non-guard I would consider there. Okay, that was kind of the name I was trying to get at. So, yeah, he's not the the biggest or sexiest name, but you know, fit-wise would make a lot of sense. But again, um, you know, you have to lean more towards talent overall. Uh, number two, you had Washington taking LaMelo Ball, who's uh, my top player, uh, Richard's uh, third best player, so possibly a John Wall replacement long term. Uh, the Pistons at three, you gave Killian Hayes, a uh, point guard from France, someone we haven't discussed yet, um, but I'm looking forward to that discussion. How, how high do you have him on your board? So in my most recent updates, uh, him and Cole Anthony swapped places. Okay. He's He's four. Yeah. Okay. And was this a best player available type of situation or how did you kind of decide on Hayes here? So I, I feel like he's perfect for them. I really don't know if Detroit would want to take a big man like a Kongwu. They uh, need a point guard. Yeah, no, they really need a point guard and they need direction with the team. Uh, I think Killian Hayes has star upside offensively. So it's just kind of swinging for the fences, and I think he's got a decently safe floor. And I know a lot of uh, my Pistons followers love him. so <laughs> Making like them a, happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there play you go. Pistons Twitter. Uh, at four, Atlanta Hawks, Onyeka Okongwu, the big man from USC. I think that's a phenomenal fit. Yeah, um, pairing yeah. him with John Collins and Clint Capella, you know, having that as your front court uh, is very nice there. And they're not tied to Capella. I know that that drew a lot of criticism. That was my most criticized pick far and away. Uh, well, regardless, I think Capella's you, you need to have a, a stable of, the, of bigs. So, yeah. you know, especially when you have, you know, Trey Young, with all due respect, you know, he's a phenomenal offensive talent, but he struggles defensively. So you put <laughs> as many defensive pieces as you can <laughs> around him. And Okongwu's probably the best all around defender in the draft. Yep. That's, yep. uh, speaking of elite defenders, you <laughs> gave Golden State at, uh, at number five. You gave them Devin Vassell, uh, the wing from Florida State. We obviously talked about his teammate, Patrick Williams, uh, in our last episode, who will be coming up here later on in the lottery. Uh, but Vassell's a good name. Uh, at number six, uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves selecting Denny Avdia, the forward from Israel. Uh, who I've seen uh, since the Israeli league restarted. Uh, he's really been tearing things up. I actually think his jump shot looks a lot better um, than it did before the break. So, um, you know, when we do our breakdown on him, we'll discuss that a little further. Uh, the New York Knicks at seven, we talked about Cole Anthony being a good fit for them. And that's who you gave them uh, the guard from North Carolina. Uh, we talked about him last week, a guy we're talking about today at number eight, for Chicago would be Obi Toppin. Uh, I know a lot of Chicago fans have been talking about getting uh, another guard, uh, potentially more of a true point guard uh, to go along with Levine and Kobe White. So what were your thoughts on Obi Toppin here for the Bulls? Yeah, so I'm not in love with any of the point guards that were available here. Uh, maybe Cairo Lewis I could have been talked into. Um, but my overall thing is with the Bulls is how, how long-term of pieces are Kobe White and Zach Levine both, you know, together at least, uh, which made it difficult because who knows what the Bulls will do with Levine. And I'm not really still I'm not sold on Kobe White being, you know, more than kind of a chucker yet. Uh, I know he had a really strong ending to the season, but still not too high on him. So I actually just went with the best player available at this point. Um, that wasn't James, I guess, second best player available because James Wiseman would have been it. But I couldn't justify, um, you know, Carter. Markinen, uh and Wiseman, that seemed redundant. So I chose sure. the less redundant uh, pick with Obi Toppin. But they, they're, they I think, the second worst offense this year in terms of scoring. Uh, they need all the offense they can get. And as we'll talk about with Obi Toppin, I mean, he gives you offense. 
Yeah, we'll definitely get into him more later. I apologize for that voice crack. Uh, <laughs> at number nine, you mentioned Wiseman a second ago. You're giving Charlotte James Wiseman. So even though Charlotte moves down a spot, potentially someone that they are targeting at eight. Um, you know, we both really like Wiseman. Uh, I have him at four. Is he still at six in your updated rankings? Yep. Yeah, and he, he's a match made in heaven with Charlotte, so that was just too easy to pass up. <laughs> and were you just having trouble finding a fit for him in the top, you know, after Okongwu? Because I feel like the only other spot that really makes sense would maybe be Golden State at five. Yeah, so I, I personally don't see a way that he goes uh, top five. I think the risk associated with it is just so insane that it's just some GM's not going to want to do it. And Charlotte, do they really have a ton to lose? They were a borderline playoff team for the first 40 games of the season. So, and it's a good fit. Like they need big men. So it was, it just kind of fell into place. All right. To round out the top 10, you had the Phoenix Suns uh, grabbing their point guard, Tyrese Halliburton from Iowa state. Someone who we, we, we almost talked about today. We'll probably cover him in the next episode. Uh, San Antonio at 11, getting Isaac Okoro from Auburn. That's, that's scary. That's a very, yeah, Mavs that's fans. scary. I'm, surprised. I'm really surprised Mavs fans that are big into the draft didn't kill me for this one because that is literally the Southwest Division's worst nightmare. Well, and, and we haven't covered Okoro yet, have we, at this no. point extensively? So without getting too much into it, I might be Isaac Okoro's biggest fan. Uh, I have him fifth overall on my board. I really like him quite a bit. And we've been talking a little bit about it that, in my opinion, if Okoro falls anywhere close to 10, 11, 12, if I'm, if I'm Dallas, that's who I'm trying to grab. Yep. Yeah, no, that's – there's two guys – Trade up to grab, of course. Yeah, there's two, there's two guys I think that are worth trading up for in the draft for Dallas, like after 10, where I think the value kind of drops – uh, for teams in terms of trading, and Okoro is 100% the top target. Like, if this happens where he trade, he's outside of the top 10, like, the Mavs need to be on the phone offering everything that isn't Luka in Porzingis and Finney Smith. Or Interesting that Finney Smith is the, the I, other I just, untouchable there's piece. But anything that they could part with and replace really easily. Like, I don't think you can replace a 2, 3, and D guys in Kleba and Finney Smith that easily. Sorry. But totally besides the point. Well, so... <laughs> Uh, we kind of talked about it a little bit uh, in our mailbag last week. So, you know, if you were to package 18 and 31, you probably can't get to 11, but 13, 14, maybe. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And then in the, I mean, it's hard to say throw in players because how often does that actually happen on draft night? You know, it's kind of unrealistic. And then they can offer what's next, like the Miami second rounder in 2023, which was supposed to have value. But who the hell knows with. Miami never seem seeming to be bad. <laughs> so right. 2025 first round pick, which has literally no value right now. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to see a few more names come off the board here that, uh, that I wouldn't mind seeing Dallas trade up for, uh, at 12, you gave Tyrese Maxey to the Sacramento Kings. Maxey, of course, the guard out of Kentucky, uh, at 13, the New Orleans Pelicans selecting Aaron Neesmith, uh, wing from Vanderbilt, a uh, guy that I think wouldn't be a bad idea to go up for just because of his elite shooting ability. Uh, at 14, uh, that would be Devin Vassell's teammate, Patrick Williams, uh, out of Florida State to Portland, probably the other player that you could envision Dallas maybe going up to get. Yep. Yeah, he was one of the other ones. And I really liked what, uh, obviously, I, I made the draft, so I kind of was, I scripted it to an extent, but not like, you know, intentionally. Uh, but the way it fell into place, I really loved what Portland did and with um, their value and same with New Orleans. Like they both filled in the forward spots. My other pick for Portland was Tyler Bay at 44, which if that happens in real life, the Mavs need to be on the phone buying a pick. Uh, but the other one for New Orleans, they just surrounded Zion with everything they need. Ball handlers and shooters. Like, I mean, it's it's beautiful. So I, I hope this is their draft in real life because they might be one of the biggest winners. Well, before we continue past the lottery here, you mentioned the possibility of a team buying a, a pick in the second round. Is that something that still happens somewhat frequently? Yeah, I don't know what this year will look like because of the financials with the league, uh, even though it does come out of the owner's money, but like, or owner's pocket, but that may, you know, 
owners may be stingy, but also like Philadelphia has six picks, I think, in the in the draft or oh, wow. something like that. Boston has four. Uh, there's the teams that just have too much. Sacramento has a couple second rounders. They don't have the roster space. Uh, so I think you're going to see teams selling or the cheap teams in general just may sell. Like, who knows? I don't know what a lot of these ownerships are like, but some teams are willing to spend and some teams just don't want to keep a second round pick and would rather have, you know, $5 million in their pocket. So sure. (laughs) So let's keep on rolling here. Uh, Richard's other favorite team. He was was an Orlando native, uh, (laughs) the magic selecting Kyra Lewis, the Alabama point guard. Uh, someone that we'll talk about a little bit more later in the mailbag segment. Uh, at 16, the Minnesota Timberwolves taking Theo Maladon, uh, the other French guard uh, in this class with first round upside. Uh, at 17, the Boston Celtics taking Alexei Pokushevsky. How'd I do on that? Yeah, you were close enough. <laughs> All right, we'll take it. We'll call him Poku from now on. Poku. So Poku goes uh, at 17 to Boston. He's a forward from Serbia. And I know he's a, he's a prospect that, that you wouldn't mind seeing Dallas take if he gets to 18. Yeah, so he's the youngest player in the draft. He was a New Year's uh, Eve baby on t- in 2000. Uh, so he's – he's or not 2000, I'm sorry, 2002. I forgot what year it was. I uh, think it's uh, the 2018 draft over here. But, yeah, he's 18 until then. Um or 2001, something. My math isn't adding up, so I'm uh, please. I'm not a math major. Please do not hold me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I don't see him getting past Boston. He's a draft and stash. Um, it's completely unique. You don't see players like him come around. You know, seven foot ball handler uh, with shooting upside. Yeah, he's someone I'm excited to watch in detail, and and we'll discuss him on a on an upcoming episode as well. Uh, at 18, the Dallas Mavericks select. Before I reveal the pick. Uh, who are the other names that you considered at 18 here? So Josh Green was one of them that I really uh, had a hard time passing up. He's always been near the top of uh, my Mavs wish list. Um, also thought about potentially taking a really polarizing player who actually went next. Uh, spoiler alert, but Precious Achua from Memphis. Uh, but I feel like his risk is so high, even though the ceiling is super high. I couldn't really justify it. Um but yeah, so those were pretty much it. And I thought maybe for kind of reach Desmond Bain, um, thought maybe that would be a good fit next to Luca. They take their chances and see if he's there at 31. Okay. So instead Dallas gets uh, somebody who was the topic of conversation uh, in our mailbag last week, Sadiq Bay. Uh, you list him as a wing from Villanova. So uh, without getting too in depth, uh, tell us a bit about Sadiq Bay. Yeah. So, my comparison is pretty uh, straight line. It's either he's going to be as his floor. He's like Dallas West Matthews. Uh, his ceiling is Portland West Matthews. Like both are so, <laughs> and obviously, you know, a little bit less of thinking he's Kobe out there with Dallas, uh, you know, thinking he's this great shot creator. He knows his role uh, really well. He doesn't play outside of it. He's smart. He can switch on defense. That's the most attractive trait. He's a three and D guy. Uh, good shooter. Kind of has similar form-ish, uh, like the speed. Um, but, yeah, overall, like, he's just the kind of the fit next to Luca that you want. You know, Dorian Finney-Smith isn't going to be here forever. Um, who knows? I mean, he's, what, on a three-year deal or something? Sadiq Bey would theoretically have eight to nine years of control. So it's it's something about that, um, just getting that long-term 3-and-D guy next to Luca to do a lot of his dirty work. And he switches on to guys Luca normally guards. Sounds like a Sounds like a good pick to me. Um, so we'll keep chugging along here at 19. Uh, Milwaukee gets Precious Achua uh, from Memphis, who you were just talking about. Uh, 20, Brooklyn taking Zeke Naji uh, from Arizona. He's a big man. At 21, Denver getting his teammate Josh Green, who you, you just brought up as a possibility at 18. 22, Philadelphia selecting Grant Riller from College of Charleston. I've seen Riller's name uh, all over Twitter recently. Uh, do you want to just give a, a quick synopsis on Grant Riller? Yeah, so that would be a killer scenario for Philadelphia. So he's he's a do-it-all point guard. I think he's one of the best, uh, most productive players in the country. Uh, obviously, he's a senior, so he has a leg up on a lot of the guys. But he has a 
like, I mean, elite first step. Like, he can blow by anybody. Really athletic, good shooter. Uh, defense, his hit or miss, doesn't not really going to be a swing factor for me. He's still going to be a really effective player. So at the least, Philadelphia gets another ball handler next to Ben Simmons and can start right away, or you get their best backup, one of the best backups in the league. All right. At number 23, Miami selecting big man Isaiah Stewart out of Washington. At 24, Utah gets uh, a Mavs draft favorite, Desmond Bain, the wing from TCU, killer three-point shooter. Uh, At 25, Oklahoma City taking Killian Tilly, a forward from Gonzaga, a name that uh, had some steam a year or two ago um, and then kind of fell off. Uh, Is he kind of back in that first-round discussion at this point? So all of it, he fell because of health, uh, which – is obviously a big flag, uh, but if he's healthy, I mean, he's a do-it-all power forward, can switch, shoot, handle the ball, uh, really good in the pick and roll on both ends. He's a perfect value at 25. It's it's just about the training staff. Can they hold him, you know, can he play an 82-game season? I don't know. If he can play 65 games, you're happy, and play in the playoffs. Because he's going to stay out on the floor in the playoffs. You know, like he's a modern big. All right. At 26, Boston selecting Jamias Ramsey, guard from Texas Tech. At 27, the Knicks selecting uh, Little Elm's own R.J. Hampton, guard who went to play in New Zealand uh, for the uh, or in the NBL, same as uh, Lamelo Ball. Uh, he was someone who, for a while, was seen as a lottery pick, and you have him sliding all the way down to 27. You want to talk about him real quick? Yeah. So the jump shot is a pretty big concern for me. Uh, and I, I mean, I've heard rumblings that he's falling pretty fast. Like, I mean, I haven't heard anything about his stock rising whatsoever. Uh, so I feel like at best he's a 15th to 18th piss pick, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> but at, you know, in this situation, I feel like at, uh, at 27, that's a pretty solid uh, value for the Knicks. They get the best player available. All right. So let's round out the first round uh, at 28. Toronto gets Jaden McDaniels, a forward from Washington. Uh, the Lakers at 29, taking Cassius Stanley out of Duke. And then Boston at 30, taking Tyrell Terry, a point guard from Stanford. The one name I, w- I do want to touch on would be Jaden McDaniels. Uh, he's a name that I've seen thrown around for the Mavericks, both at 18 and 31, actually. So do you just want to touch on him real quick? Yeah, so 18 is, from what I've heard, is a reach at this point. He's close to that 20 to 35 range is, you know, and I know that sounds stupid. It's only two picks apart, uh, but 20 is like an optimistic view. He's just so polarizing, and his time at Washington was not good uh, that it, I really think it drops him this low. But it's a good value pick for Toronto. Like, if there's one team that could benefit from him, from, uh, for him, I guess, would be Toronto. Like, they can turn him around, no problem. Yeah, and he's an interesting player. Uh, you know, six nine combo forward, young but real thin. Um, you know, I know he's a big time recruit, so um, he's someone who I'm interested to to watch and learn a little bit more about. So obviously, we talked about Dallas having the first pick in the second round uh, at this moment, uh, and you gave Dallas. So again, before I reveal the name, any other names that uh, you were tempted to give Dallas at this point? Yeah, so I was looking at uh, mostly wings, like wings were who I was tied to, and maybe there's one big uh, that I was considering, but and that was Paul Reed uh, from DePaul. But the other guys I was looking at, maybe Leandro Bomaro uh, as an option, international stash, uh, really good playmaker and defender, Jordan Wara from Louisville. Um, and then that was actually pretty much it. Those were the wings that I really liked. Maybe Mason Jones, but I wasn't too confident in, in him there. Okay. And you gave uh, Dallas at 31, seems to be kind of your new draft crush here, Emmett Williams out of LSU. So I know you touched on him briefly uh, in the last episode, talking about how he's kind of that new small ball five, uh, you know, that kind of Houston's been running. But uh, do you want to go a little more in depth here? Yeah, uh, thanks to that question. I've just been on an absolute spree of Emmett Williams uh, film and everything, but Basically, with him, I, I don't see a real flaw in his game. He rotates really well on defense. Like, he anchored the LSU defense along with Skyler Mays. Like, those two really held it down. Um, like, obviously, he's 6'6", but it sounds weird to hear him as a center. But he can guard almost anybody. Uh, 
literally his flaw right now that I see is the jump shot is uh, it's really slow, but the form is good, you know, high release. Um, the question for him would just be when would he step into the rotation? Not if it may be December, maybe January, may somehow maybe cracks it, you know, early season. I guess like in a normal season, obviously his timeline is different. But yeah, I, I just really like the value at 31. Uh, I know it's kind of a reach compared to where he is elsewhere, uh, but I see him as a top. Probably he's going to end up in my top 30. Uh, he's at 35 right now, and last time we recorded, he was at 39. I think that was only three days ago. So, <laughs> All right, so he's definitely climbing. Yeah. So what what do you think his role would be? Well, I'll expand it. So let's say Dallas does come away with a pair of Sadiq Bay and Emmett Williams. How do you envision both of those guys factoring into their long-term plans? Yeah, so Emmett Williams, I feel like, I don't know who is a current comparison for him. Maybe Maxi. Maxi would be a close one. Um, you know, really athletic. Could be a 3 and D guy if his jump shot develops. But he's also a good passer. You can put the ball on the floor. Um, so another Maxi almost would be, I guess, my, I don't want to say comparison. That's not him. But he'd play a really similar role of just doing all the dirty work on defense, you know, sitting on the corners on offense. Okay. Yeah. How about Bay? And then for Bay, um, you know, sim- really similar role to what Finney Smith does. Uh, I don't know if he can guard up as much as Finney Smith does. You know, he can guard fives. Uh, I think with Bay, he's limited to small ball fours, but he can guard three through one really comfortably. And that's, you would have him doing the Wesley Matthews before he was traded. Uh, or I guess throughout his whole time in Dallas, similar role. Uh, offensively, lower usage, though. No post-ups, uh, which I know is a sigh of relief for Mavs fans. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. So again, if you want to check out the rest of his mock draft, you can see where some other big names uh, fell. Uh, definitely go check it out, MavsDraft.com. So today we're only going to get into uh, one scouting report. Uh, we talked about that that was going to be Obi Toppin. Uh, and then at the end, we're going to get to a few more questions that we weren't able to get to last time. So first and foremost, where does Obi rank uh, in your player list. Yeah. So he's my number seven player. Um, I still don't know if I should list him as a small forward or power forward. Um, I just have him as a forward. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's pretty much what I have him as too. Um, which I guess would make him number one of that. If you don't count Okongwu, because he would be the only person in front of him. Okay. So I have him at number nine. Uh, and the only forward I have ahead of him would be Denny Avdia. Yeah, and he's next on mine, so it's pretty close. Okay. So, again, not too big of a discrepancy, but I've seen a lot of people having Obi in their top three to five players. So uh, we might be the low guys on Obi top, <laughs> and we'll kind of get into why in a little bit here. So uh, Obi's got kind of an interesting background. He's an older sophomore. Uh, I believe he's already 22 years old um, out of Dayton and was – did, he did a postgraduate year, didn't he? And that's why he's on the older side. I believe he did a postgraduate year at Mount Zion. I believe so, yes. Okay. Do you have anything else on his uh, background? No, I, I haven't been able to find a bunch out about him. He just kind of, I guess, appeared on the scene this year. You know, last year as a freshman, he had some good numbers. Uh, the field goal percentage, I mean, he shot 52% from three uh, on not high volume, but yeah, like he, he kind of just appeared out of nowhere to an extent. Like people knew a breakout was coming. It's just not this level of a breakout. For sure. So OB, 6'9", 220 with a 6'11 wingspan uh, is what I have on him. Uh, in 31 games this past year, uh, averaged 31 and a half minutes per game, took 12 and a half field goal attempts, making just over 63% of those. Uh, he upped his volume to two and a half threes per game and hit 39% of them. Uh, the three point percentage being 52% that you talked about last year, he took 0.6 attempts per game. Uh, he took four and a half free throws a game, making 70% of those. And he averaged 20 points, seven and a half rebounds, two assists, a steal and a block per game. So obviously put up great numbers. Um, for a loaded Dayton team this past season. Yeah, and that Dayton team, I mean, he, I think he won player of the year, right? I think he did, too. I was going to say that, but I didn't want to sound stupid. Yeah, no, I, uh, let's see, I'm double-checking. Yeah, he won the Naismith Award, Wooden Award. I mean, dude, like, every award possible. 
um, except defensive player. That one he had no chance in. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. that. We'll, get that to, we'll get to that later. <laughs> so, you know, you kind of talked about you're not sure if you envision him as a small forward or a power forward. And we both kind of have him as that combo forward. But I, I do think unless he – I don't think he'll be able to defend threes. So I, I think – Offensively, he kind of gives you a, you know, a, almost a three through five vibe. But defensively, I think he's going to be very limited to guarding fours at the next level. And so I feel more comfortable projecting him as a four moving forward. So, um, you know, what are your kind of thoughts on all that? Uh, I mean, I'll, you said it really nicely about his defense. I mean, his his defense is an absolute disaster. Um, you put him on, he doesn't play a position on defense. He plays, put him on the worst player. Uh, that's pretty much what they're going to do or run zone when they're out there. I mean, you've seen it with the Mavs. They do that a lot when, uh, for example, Justin Jackson, they almost always ran zone when he would first come in and then they would switch it up. Uh, but for him, you know, they ran a lot of zone. Similar thing could happen to Obi. Offensively, though, uh, all depends on the lineup around him. You know, if he goes to Cleveland, he's going to be playing a lot differently than if he went to Golden State. Like he would probably be a, uh, what I would say a four in Golden State, right? Yeah, possibly yeah. even a five in some cases because yeah. we know they like to play small ball as well. Yeah, and if you're next – well, yeah, I, I I don't know if I'd ever – or on offense, yeah, you could pull it off. They would have to – I don't know. I would not want to be They'd have to pull some strings defensively. Yeah, I would not want to be on that team that has to think about that. <laughs> and I, I'm trying to be nice here, but, yeah, no, his defense, I mean, we might as well just jump into that, honestly. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, let's just talk about the defense straight away. So, um you know, you're calling it a disaster all around. So why don't you talk about it a little bit first? Yeah. So, I mean, the best thing he does is he plays the passing lanes well. Like, he's good at reading plays. Obviously, he averages a steal a game and a block a game. Uh, that doesn't happen just by by accident. Uh, so, I mean, he knows when plays are coming. It's just uh, he does not move well laterally whatsoever. Like, I mean, if you take him on the drive, you're probably going to beat him pretty easily. That's, that's where the issue lies is just he's not an on-ball defender at all. Yeah, I would agree. He's he's tight. So when you look at his frame, he's got he's got kind of an interesting frame. He's he's really broad and wide in the shoulders, really strong upper body, but his, he really narrows out through the waist and through his lower half. Um, and and I think he's tight. You know, he he well one he he's not very quick laterally, but his hips are definitely tight as well. And so he, it's not for lack of trying. It's really not. Um, it's just he doesn't have the physical gifts to stay in front of people who are trying to go by him. And that's why I really wouldn't want to put him at the three, because I think he has no business guarding anybody on the perimeter. I mean, can you even imagine him guarding the most athletic position in the game? You know, small forward shooting guard kind of wings. That's that's not a good idea for him. That is just asking for a huge negative. Yeah, I think the, you know, you you talked about the, you know, him reading passing lanes. I think the other area uh, that he kind of flashes is as a shot blocker. Uh, he's an excellent vertical leaper. Yep. Um, and and I think he's got pretty decent timing. Um, but again, there are just too many other flaws to, to make him a full-time five, to kind of make him that anchor of the defense. So I do think he'll give you some help rotating from the weak side, challenging at the rim. Uh, he's not a you know eraser per se, but he can do a good enough job that you know there there's some there's some upside there and there's some some good things. Uh, one area that I'm really concerned is how he reads uh, the pick and roll as a defender. Uh, I thought quite often he would kind of get caught in no man's land. You know, wasn't sure if if he should, you know, I, I'm not really sure what was going through his head because it's almost like he wasn't sure if he needed to switch or if he needed to drop or if he was supposed to hedge. So I'm not sure if he just wasn't sure what coverage they were in or if he just gets caught out of place too often. Yeah, <laughs> And part of it, I mean, it's the athleticism. I mean, because he's so slow to move. Uh, I guess just slow in general, he gets caught more easily, too. Laterally. Uh, but, Laterally. Yeah. yeah, and even though, like, when he's dropping, he's also, I've noticed him to be a little bit slow, uh, you know, in that area, too. 
So I think the physical aspect has a lot to do with it. And he kind of gambles. Um, and that's how I think it's that combination that he ends up with in no man's land. Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. Uh, I do want to come back to the athleticism. And the reason I'm trying to stress the lateral movement is because when he's running the floor, I mean, in a straight line, he he runs like a guard. <laughs> yeah, no, it's the weirdest mix of uh, weirdest mix of traits. It, Wiseman kind of has a similar sort of deal, but you you expect that more out of someone who's seven feet. You know, Obi being six nine has you know twenty twenty five pounds less than a guy like Wiseman, so it's it's more common in big men. Um, but you know, Obi doesn't quite have the the post defense uh, or just the big man defense in general to to be a full-time big, but he also isn't going to be able to stick on, um, on perimeter players. So you guys might just have heard that and be like, okay, how in the hell is this guy in both of your top tens? Well, it's because of what he can do as a scorer. So why don't we jump into his, uh, his shooting mechanics and how much he's improved as a shooter, uh, over the past year. Yeah. So, Obviously, you know, you heard the volume. Uh, he, he went from, uh, you know, 0.6 threes a game to 2.6, which is a decent jump. And he took a lot of mid-range long jump shots, which probably would have been threes last year uh, with the old line. Uh, but his jump shot, it looks really nice. You know, quick release. I think the, the release point is good. The format overall is good. It's quick. Uh, no hesitation. I really, really like the jump shot. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's perfect, but it's definitely workable. Um, and I don't really think he needs to change much because, like you said, the the quickness that he gets the shot up. Sometimes his base is a little narrow, but, you know, that's just kind of nitpicking at this point because it works for him. Um, and you just talked about it, how he was able to stretch it all the way out to the three-point line um, this past year. Um, I don't project him as someone who's going to shoot off movement at all but he's such a weapon in the pick and roll that i think it's perfectly viable to see him shooting and pick and pop situations or even just in catch and shoot situations yeah and i think that's when he's going to get the most uh looks as a shooter is you know uh driving kick out to the corner there's i mean that's a pretty common one and then the pick and pop because i mean that's when i thought his jump shot was at its absolute best uh you know he'd do the high pick and roll and then just fade away and I mean, it was always wide open teams and teams expect him to, you know, crash with his athleticism. Uh, they really look for that. So having him be able to pop and make him pay is a really lethal dual threat. So let's talk about him a bit as a as that pick and roll threat, because, you know, you mentioned the athleticism and he's he's a phenomenal lob threat as a result because of how high he can jump. You know, he's got the long arms, big hands, good hands. He, he's reliable catching the basketball. Um, and he's got excellent touch around the rim as a finisher. So you have that as a threat. You know, you have the pick and pop as a threat. And then I think utilizing him in the short roll, uh, something I would have liked to see a little more out of him or, or how Dayton would have utilized him, because I think he's such a good playmaker as well. Yeah, no, he's a really good playmaker. And I was just looking at the uh, the synergy stats. It's really funny that he has one area under 80% percentile, uh, and it's actually pick and roll finishing, which is very surprising, but I don't think it includes like when he rolls into a post-up. Sure. Post-up. Uh, and I think a lot of those touches end up being you know pick and roll. But it's funny also because Jalen Crutcher's point guard is one of the best pick and roll people on synergy. On synergy. So weird combination. But I think overall, yeah, he, he can make plays, like you said. When he's rolling, he still has his eyes up, which is really important. Yeah, and he's an excellent passer. Um, you know, we've seen it from from all over the floor. He He's actually more of an anticipatory passer, which is pretty rare uh, for, for someone with his kind of archetype, um, which I think is what makes him so unique offensively. Yeah, and... His passing, so he does, he's incredible at passing out of the post. I wish I could describe yeah. it, but he bullet passes, which I've tweeted about plenty. Like, if you just search Obi in my name, Mavstrap, on Twitter, you'll find, like, I mean, he throws missiles. Uh, like, he looks like a pitcher, literally, the way he throws, like, it looks like a four seam fastball, and it's always right on the money. 
and he threads the needle. Like it's, it's actually pretty special. Like that's, this is a big thing. You know, the offensive upside of he's perfectly well-rounded. Uh, I think at least offensively and he doesn't do, you know, much wrong in the passing and exemplifies that. Yeah. And I think, you know, you look at both with the ball in his hands and without the ball in his hands, um, you know, he's a great option either way. And I think that versatility is really going to help him fit into any offensive scheme. Um, do you do you like him going into the low post at all? Because I, I think when he has those mismatches, if someone wants to put a smaller four or even a three on him for some reason because he's giving people fits on the perimeter, I actually think he, he flashed some, some solid moves and good touch with both hands, little baby hook over both shoulders. Um, you know, what did you think about his low post game? No, it's really good. I mean, like I said, you know, Synergy had everything else above 80%. I think that was the 98th percentile, like, and it was his most run play uh, for good reason. Like, he, he's really good at, uh, at exploiting the mismatch, too, and he's quick in the post. I think he has, uh, kind of funny enough, he's got quick feet in the paint <laughs> offense, which I – it still makes no sense to me. Like, you have such a, uh, such a combo of terrible and good feet. But, yeah, I really like what he can do. Like you said, finishing over both hands uh, or finishing with both hands over defenders is incredibly important. Yeah, especially with the verticality he gets, um, you know, with that leaping ability that that we've talked about. Uh, And then, of course, he can score, uh, you know, just moving off the ball as well. He's a great cutter. He seals really well in the low post. And so he, he gives a big target. And sometimes he doesn't even have to make a move. It's, you know, he, he sealed so well underneath that it's just catch, turn, and finish. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, you said it best. Like, he, it's just quick. I mean, I think that's the most important thing with it, right? Like, Yeah. Quick and, decisions. Yeah. And with the NBA, if you post up, you can't hold the ball for five seconds in the paint. That, that's why the, the post up like that is dead. You know, where you feed the center, repost. Feed the center, repost. But, like, Obi Toppin brings an efficiency with the post up, you know, abusing mismatches, going quick, which is super rare. It's actually one of the big things why I'm still a big believer in DeAndre Aiden, because while he's kind of post-oriented right now, like, he is super quick, and you can't guard him. Like, he abused Rudy Gobert in the post, which is the rarest thing to say. So if Obi can be a, a great finisher and from the post, it's super valuable. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the other things that I really liked about Obi was his ball handling ability. Um, someone who flashed the ability to cross over, step back even, um, and, you know, just put the ball on the floor with two, three dribbles from the from the high post and even the low post as well, just driving straight towards the basket. So uh, is that something that, that you saw as a plus for him as well? Yeah, uh, I think it's not something that you're going to see a ton uh, right away, at least. I think his ball handling has a ton of upside, though. Uh, I think like Harrison Barnes before and after Dallas, uh, obviously, you know, He's not known as a great ball handler, but I, I think he actually is, and he's really good at isolating because of it. And that's where Obi's going to be most benefited. Give him two years under you know good coaching, uh, get him the ball handling upgrades he needs uh, and skill, and I think you've got yourself another slasher. Like it really opens up a lot of his game if he can do it consistently, because he can do some one dribble moves and beat you off of that, kind of go into his bag, but he can't do it every possession. It's not going to be a successful strategy. Right, but the foundation is there, and that's huge right, for exactly, him. exactly. I think the other area offensively that we can talk about with him is his ability as an offensive rebounder. And I don't know if you have the numbers in front of you here, but to me, um, you know, he's, he was a so-so defensive rebounder. You know, I thought he could get pushed around a little bit because, you know, he's got the, the thinner lower half, um, and it doesn't quite match the strength in his upper body, but Man, when he has a when he has a runway going towards the basket, uh, you know, it's almost shades of Blake Griffin as an offensive rebounder. Yeah, and yeah, no, that's dead on. Like he averaged over one a game on the offensive rebounds. Uh, that is an area where I mean, he is there anything like so far? Have we even said anything negative about his offense? Not too much, other than you know, a few things could be improved. But again, the foundation is there for yeah for almost everything, in my opinion, at least. Yeah, and his athleticism, like, once that goes, obviously it'll decline, but we're talking years from now, so that's irrelevant right now. I mean, he's going to average multiple offensive rebounds a game, uh, I think. Like, I think the 1.2 is pretty low from Dayton. I don't think that's really indicative of what he could be. I agree. So, 
you know, obviously we touched on the defense already, you know, the struggles there. You know, I just mentioned I don't love him as a defensive rebounder. Um, but basketball IQ on both sides of the floor, what do you think about him? So there's a reason he shot 63% this year and 66% last year. Like he doesn't force shots, which is a lot of the system in, in Dayton. Uh, it's not all credit to him, but I mean, it's, it kind of lays in a good, like the key word here is foundation. Like it, if you're not taking terrible shots in college, odds are you're probably not going to just start in the NBA unless you play for, you know, unless something happens in your team. Um, so I really like his basketball IQ. Like he doesn't force things. I don't think maybe once every little bit, but it's not a concern for me. Um, for sure. And that's and, only and, offense. Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say on defense, eh, we kind of talked about the pick and roll, the gambling. Uh, he knows he has a physical disadvantage, but he's not unintelligent on defense, I wouldn't say. Yeah, I think he knows generally where he's supposed to be. And again, you see that with his ability to rotate and challenge at the rim. You know, I think it's more physical limitations with how tightly wound his body is and just not being as fluid as he is explosive. You know, a lot of guys, we see the other problem. We see they're, they're fluid athletes, but they're not explosive, right? They're not someone who can finish above the rim. Um, so, you know, with Obi, it's, it's kind of the opposite. So, you know, that, that's kind of the evaluation portion. So, you know, we talked about you have him at, remind me, eight? Uh, I believe it is seven. seven. Yeah, seven. You have him at seven. I have him at nine. And I think we would agree that, you know, if if he was an average defender, we both probably have him in our top three. Top five, top three, no question. That's an easy jump. It's because our question is with him is how bad is the defense? That's going to entirely uh, affect his outcome. Yeah, exactly. And how well are you going to be able to hide him essentially? And so I think certain teams are going to want to pass on him as a result. So, you know, like I, I've seen some people wanting to put him in like Minnesota, for example, I'd be terrified putting Obi Toppin and Carl Anthony Towns in the same front court because you're not going to get any defense out there. So, you know, you gave him to Chicago uh, in your mock draft, what other teams uh, go in the top 10 do you think would be a good fit for Obi? Yeah, and, and for Chicago, just to clarify, I mean, I don't think it's a great fit, uh, obviously, with the forwards they already have. But uh, if they do decide to make him a three, that small forward, uh, that is actually kind of an area of need. So they are still one in that area. It's just, I mean, they're already a disaster on defense. You look at they have one out of if you put that core together, if it was Kobe White, Zach Levine, Obi Toppin, Lowry Markin, and Wendell Carter, you have one good defender, and everybody else is just straight up bad. So that would be a disaster. Uh, so with that, I would say New York is obviously a fit. Uh, you can make the argument Washington, but I actually don't really think maybe maybe Golden State. You can make an argument there too. I actually don't really think there's a great fit in the top 10. Um, what I would actually like to see is a team trade up like Boston. I think Brad Stevens could do an incredible job with him, hiding him defensively. And, you know, they have four picks this year, three first-round picks. If he's there at 9, 10, trade 17, 16, or 26, excuse me, 30, and just trade the whole draft for him. I mean, that's a that would be worth it. I think that's his best bet is a good team trading up for him. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I actually do really like the Golden State fit because that's a team that just plays really good team defense. They get a lot of love and, and attention for their three-point shooting over the past few years, and rightly so. But I think one of the best aspects of them as a team is that Steve Kerr's made them one of the better defensive teams. Um, you know, even having someone who, like Steph, is not known for being a great defender, but you know, he's out there playing big time minutes and they're still one of the top defensive teams in the league year after year, aside from, you know, the this past season's debacle. So, you know, again, I think that's a team where, you know, you kind of have the the defensive identity to maybe hide him, but really take advantage of his scoring. And again, I think he's someone who fits their their model offensively as well, just because of his ability to move the ball and kind of play you know, in that style of offense, I think he'd, he'd be really successful there. 
Yeah, and, and Dayton played an NBA-style offense. And as we know, the NBA is, uh, scores as many points as you can. They really are trying to do a lot to eliminate defense. So Golden State wouldn't be bad. I mean, they would really outscore everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have a, a comparison for Obi that you like? The only person who I've able been, been able to come up with as a comparison comfortable with uh, is probably a Marvin Bagley type. I trust his shooting a little bit more than Bagley. Uh, and Bagley's defense is better, but uh, somewhere in that middle ground of where he is now, uh, Marvin Bagley, I think, is one of the most efficient permanent players in the league, which I, is something I think you could do with uh, Obi Toppin. For sure. I, it might be low-hanging fruit, but I, I mentioned Blake Griffin earlier. I kind of like that comparison a little bit, just from the, the sheer athleticism and kind of power that they both play with. You know, we didn't touch on it a ton. You know, we mentioned his his touch around the rim, but dude is strong. Like, yeah. finishes with power and strength at the basket, and you know, there even just the little hints of oh, he can handle the ball a little bit. You know, yeah. kind of brought back some some Blake Griff, early career Blake Griffin vibes. And wasn't Blake Griffin 22 when he got drafted? Uh, I'm gonna fact check this. Uh... But I, I don't know if when he was drafted, but maybe by the time he played his rookie year, because he missed that first yeah, year with right. an injury, that's right? Yep, he was 21 when drafted, and he played 22. Yeah, so, I mean, almost the same age, too. Uh, obviously, Blake was – I mean, they were both really productive college players, too. Uh, that would be an ideal high outcome. Another name, just real quick, that I'd heard uh, someone say is this type of player, not a direct comparison, but Rudy Gay. Okay. Is, that would be an interesting outcome. I mean, if you get Rudy Gay in this draft, are you happy in the top 10? For sure. Yeah, that's what I think, too. If you get someone who sticks in the top 10 of this year, you're happy. Absolutely. Um, you know, the last point I want to kind of drive home, and one of the things that is keeping Obi out of my top five is the fact that he's already 22. And it doesn't sound like a big deal, but when you can take someone who's 18, you know, especially someone who relies so much on their athleticism, it's a little concerning that, you know, about, you know, seven, eight years into his career, you're, you're already kind of past the prime. You know, when you're taking someone who's 18, 19, you feel like you have more development time. And then by the time they're in their prime, you know, it's the, it's the full package, so to speak. Not that it's, you know, something that I would, move him down the board per se but you know if all things are equal give me the younger guy yeah and think about it say they uh say they get eight years of Obi topping you know they get him another extension a four-year extension he's 30 at that, at the right. end of that. you get him for you know one full fully controlled uh, or i guess two fully controlled contact contracts that is a for sure swing factor i do have a question though would you would you say that Obi topping is the most bustable player in the top 10? I don't think so because I think his, uh, and, and I think we talked about this last week, and I think I might have agreed with you at that point, but I think with his offense being as good as it is, and, you know, even if the shot never develops, it's still adequate, right? Even if the playmaking never develops, it's adequate. The finishing's already there. So, you know, I think there's enough of a floor offensively that worst case scenario, you know, he's almost like a Michael Beasley type off the bench who can just, you know, kind of be a bucket getter for you, um, you know, with a lot more energy, obviously. Um, I would maybe say maybe Wiseman, to be honest, just because I, I think if if he doesn't develop the perimeter skills at all again it's he'll be a useful player but i think obi's archetype is more conducive to winning than wiseman's lowest outcome that's if fair. that makes sense yeah i mean it's definitely between it's probably most definitely between those two you could argue maybe denny uh that jump shot never comes along uh, yeah we'll add into that another time no that, that i i don't disagree with that yeah but i, I I'll be honest, I feel pretty good about the floor of everyone I have in my top 10 at this point. Um, but it was a good question. It could take us kind of right into our mailbag. 
Um, so we're going to kind of get to some questions that we didn't get to last time uh, and then answer uh, a couple new ones as well. So uh, Ben asked if we could talk about some international prospects that Dallas might consider drafting at either 18 or 31 or maybe even someone as an undrafted free agent. Uh, I remember all things Mavs last week asked about Leandro Bolmaro. So we already touched on him a little bit. Uh, you mentioned uh, Poku earlier as well. Uh, but who are some other guys that they could maybe stash uh, overseas for a year or two? Yeah, so another one that I probably chose him too high in my mock draft is Theo Maladon, uh, the French point guard. He's one. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of the guys that I liked, they didn't stay in the draft. Uh, like, I don't know how to say the guy's name, but Nikita, uh, he's, he's from Russia. Uh, he's really good. I liked him a lot. He had a triple-double in the FIBA game. Uh, I was a big fan of that. But Bomaro is probably the biggest name to watch at both 18 and 31. I think uh, you would find a lot of people would be happy taking him either place there. And we talked about him a lot, of course. Uh, but yeah, like I said, the international depth in this class kind of just really falls off after uh, Maladon and Bomaro. It's it's unfortunate. But next year's class, I mean, <laughs> don't get me started on this. It's going to be deep in the, internationally. Well, I also feel like with international players, um, we kind of start to hear more about them as the draft nears because we haven't had a ton of film on them. So maybe if some of them continue their um, continue their seasons, someone may emerge. I know there's another guy over in Israel who uh, has been oh. making some noise. Yam. But one more time. Yam Madar, I think. Okay. Uh, that might be a better way to pronounce it, but yeah. Okay, so, um, you know, maybe that's something that we can revisit in, in a few months once some of those names start to reemerge. Um, Josh, our good buddy Josh, uh, former Sports Dump host as well, uh, he's asking about uh, one of his fellow Alabama alumni, and he's asking why Kyra Lewis seems to be rising up draft boards. Yeah. Um, so with Kyra, Kyra is someone who uh, I actually had someone tell me, you know, he was going to be up there with jaw as a prospect. Obviously, you know, it hasn't necessarily happened, but he's 18. Jaw was 19 last year. Um, so, or I think he was 20, excuse me, at the draft time. And uh, Kyra is 18. He played his whole freshman year um, at uh, you know, he wasn't even eligible last year. Like he's a sophomore, it's 18 years old. So that's a huge appeal. Uh, and then you factor in the fa uh, the fact that his jump shot really came alive this year, uh, and he's unbelievably quick. He's a two way guard, runs the offense well. Uh, probably really benefit with NBA spacing. And he's one of the younger guys as well, isn't he? Yeah, I think he's the. I saw man. I wish I had this list ready. Second I'd, or third youngest. Yeah, something he, like he's that. five youngest of people. He's 100% in the top two. But people will go in the first round. But yeah, or okay. top three. So there you go, Josh. Uh, someone that I'm sure will be breaking down in the not too distant future. Uh, Clayton asks, what players boast the most of whatever skill they didn't get to use in college or on their foreign team? So maybe somebody who was perhaps held back by their uh, by the scheme that they were in. Um, and we kind of talked about it a little bit with Obi Toppin. So I guess I'll start with him where. I, I wish they would have used him a little bit more as a playmaker out of the high post or in those short roll situations because I love the flashes that I saw. Um, so I kind of wish we, we would have seen more opportunities for him uh, in those circumstances. Yeah, that's a really good question that I've, I've been thinking about this since I saw it, and I'm having the hardest time uh, answering this. So I'm going to have uh, – I man, this is an incredible question. So I'm going to go with uh, someone who I've, I've been a big fan of. Uh, I think he's in my top 60. Not a super popular player, but uh, Isaiah Mike out of SMU. He's a really good 3 and D guy. I know he took like four threes a game, uh, but he never really got to put the ball on the floor. And when he did, he would posterize people. I mean, he was incredible at attacking the rim, and I think it's an underrated area for him. Uh, unfortunately, with a lot of the first-round guys, for the most part, they all got to showcase their skills. Uh, I would say one would maybe be Isaiah Joe. That's like, you know, a bigger name. He's a really good shot creator. He got to do it a couple times a game. 
never really ran the point like I thought maybe he could have a few times, but instead he has a sick step back, uh, which he used once he got the ball. Yeah, he never really had to run the point. I think he has some potential in that area. I guess the only other names that come to mind would be guys who have their seasons cut short. So, like, you know, obviously we know Aaron Neesmith can shoot the ball, but we were starting to see some of the other ways he could score as well this year. Um, And then he took on a bigger role defensively as well. So, yeah, we would have liked to see a full season of that, but not much you can do when there's injuries involved. A couple more questions. Oh, I have a much better answer. Omer okay. Yurt 7. I'll just keep this one quick. Omer Yurt 7 only took half a three a game, but that dude can shoot. Uh, he definitely got hidden in that front. That's my that's my final answer. <laughs> okay, there we go. Uh, Aaron asks, who is the best prospect from a non-Power 5 school in any future draft? Is there anyone like committed to Gonzaga or something that's like a big prospect in the coming years? I mean, from this draft, it's... I mean, Memphis, I don't think, is a Power 5 school, so James Wiseman, Obi Toppin, for sure, Dayton isn't a Power 5 conference. So, you know, one of those two has to be your answer, I'm assuming. Yeah, so those two would obviously be the front runners. If you're looking a little bit deeper, it probably goes um, to, I, I would guess, Grant Riller is probably it at College okay. of Carson. He would be one. Um, I like Paul Reed from DePaul. A yeah. decent amount. He's someone who, uh, I mean, I've only watched 13 and he's my 13th, but I gave him a late first round grade. So you're talking mid 20s at that point. Um, you know, he's, you know, obviously DePaul is in a power five program. Yeah. And then for next year, I would say it's probably Jeremiah Robinson Earl from Villanova. Uh, he's in my number one returning player. Uh, and I mean, just looking at the, re- I mean, just to refresh my memory on the top guys coming into next year. It looks like they're all either going G League, Pro, or Power 5. So that one's a pretty tough one. Uh, So I'll go with Jeremiah Robinson Earl for next year. Okay. And I'll go ahead and round out the the mailbag. Uh, It's not a draft question, but it is a Mavs question. Uh, Our buddy Tanner asked, how worrisome is the lack of big man depth? Uh, Are we assuming we'll see a lot of Dorian and Kid Gilchrist at the four? And then, of course, uh, our friend Brad replying... Uh, with do they no longer have the record for most hyphenated last names and did they ever have that record I guess it would have been three well they still I mean Kali Stein is still on the team he's just not coming to um not coming to the Orlando bubble which is why Tanner asked the question because now your true big men at this point are Chris Stapps and Boban and then your fours I guess would be Maxi, Kid Gilchrist, and Dorian could play some four. Um, you know, you don't really want either or really any of those other three moving up to five. So, how concerning is it if someone were to get hurt? Yeah, I mean, I, your first worry probably has to be Porzingis. Uh, you probably want some insurance just in case he goes down. Um, so, I, I do think it is a worry. I thought it was weird that they signed Trey Burke as the first reaction, saying, oh no, we need a point guard now. Uh, which is like the most Rick Carlisle thing ever, by the way. He's like, you know what? That's a four-point guard lineup now. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. It just seems weird to me that they're not addressing that. Um, if something happens where Courtney Lee doesn't go, even though I think they might have said he is, uh, if they can get some exception, you know, maybe Dwight Powell gets the injury exception, but I don't know what the rules are with that, given the weird circumstances. Um, I mean, yeah, they need a big man. Like, it is, it is a concern to me. Um, I would say that they need to address that. And I don't know how, though. That's the issue. Sala, bring him back. Man, I wish. So I, I saw someone suggest that. That would actually, and Tanner's going to hate me for saying this. He hates Sala. Uh, I love <laughs> Sala. And uh, he's under contract in Real Madrid, so he can't even sign. So. Uh, actually, speaking of Real Madrid, uh, there was someone else I wanted to ask you about. Um, I believe, and I may be wrong, that they're a point guard, uh is it a Fasundo Campazzo? I believe yeah. his contract is running out. Any interest there? So I know the Mavs were linked to him, uh, but I don't know what to what degree. He's uh, fun, but, man. Yeah, he's really exciting. But my problem with him is that he cannot shoot. Like, he has a super low release point, and he's 5'11". Uh, he's not shooting over any NBA defenders. So while his passing is incredible, it's really appealing. 
Uh, I don't buy his jump shot ever being a threat, which really limits how much he could play, on a, especially on a playoff team like Dallas. Yeah, he'd probably be your your third point guard, you know, someone who would kind of take the, the J.J. role. And, you know, Brunson moves into the old J.J. role of being, you know, kind of the engine to that second unit. But um, anything else for today's episode? No. Um, I mean, I think that is it. For, how about you? That's all I got. So, um Hopefully you guys enjoyed us running through the mock draft again, uh, mavsdraft.com. Uh, follow Richard on Twitter if you're not doing that already, at mavsdraft. Uh, you can find me at Jared underscore cats 30, but I'm not as good of a follow, so follow <laughs> at your own risk. Um, let us know uh, who, the, uh, who the next players you want to hear us talk about are. Um, you know, still some big names, Okoro, Killian Hayes, Avdia, Halliburton, uh, Maxi, Vassell, so still tons of big names, but also a lot of uh, kind of sleeper guys. So uh, let us know who you want to hear about. Uh, keep sending us your questions. Uh, we'll continue doing mailbags as long as we have questions to answer. Um, they don't even have to be basketball related. We'll answer anything within reason. <laughs> um, so thanks again for tuning in, and we'll talk to you guys next time.